0: Uh, What a perfect opportunity on Palm Sunday for us to remember what it's all about, uh, that this is a time where Christ presented himself as the king, as the only king. And if you are here today and you are not a a follower of Christ, and you maybe wonder what we're doing here, why we do this, why we believe what we believe, uh, we're, we're glad you're here. And today should give you some reasons why we follow Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, as our king. And uh, we're glad you're here. We're going to look at this whole triumphal entry of Christ in Matthew's account. But before we do that, let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Our great God, we do come into your presence today and we affirm everything that we have sung, that you are the king of the universe, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we worship you today. We come exhilarated by the worship, lifted up and and, and awakened and alive because of the truths that were in these songs, Lord. And we give you praise and honor. You are the one of a kind God. There's, There's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our creator, our provider, our redeemer, the one who comes inside of us, Holy Spirit, to bring the work of Christ inside and make it real to us and actually convert our hearts to change us, to enable us to walk in your power. And so today we come into your presence thanking you for this week. We thank you for the prayers that you answered, the things that you've done that we didn't even know that you did. You answered things in advance. You you worked because you're king, you're in charge. And Lord Jesus, we honor you. At the beginning of Holy Week now, we ask that you would be with us in a powerful way. We need a word from you. We need your truth To energize us through your spirit. So today we pray for the one who teaches that you would forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth, that we could see you and know you and experience you. For we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You know, several years ago, I was looking, I was looking through some notes, and several years ago I found uh, an illustration of a time when. Former President Bush, I think the first one, uh, had been asked by a friend to go and speak at, uh, at his company. and so the president went his fee for speaking uh, for companies was hundred thousand dollars. And so since it was his buddy, he said, "I'll do it for eighty thousand, such a deal." you know So he went and spoke, and afterwards his friend was talking about... What an amazing company it is going on and on about uh, what it was producing, what it was doing for the world. And so uh, the president apparently asked if he could get his speaking fee to be put in stock and not in cash. And so the guy said, sure, that's absolutely. And so he did it. And when uh, he cashed in the stock, uh, it it brought uh, the fruit of $14.4 million when it went public. I don't even know if that's true. I I, I emailed Bruce May this this week. I said, Bruce, is this true? And he goes, I don't know, but I want to know the stock. (laughs) Uh, It's a great story. It illustrates an important point. If you're going to go public, you got to go public at the right time, right? And for Jesus, that is absolutely true. Palm Sunday is when he goes public. Palm Sunday was the right time. Our text today is so important because we get so used to this story. This was wonderful with these kids coming. I love that. Palm branches. They were probably palm branches. There's precedence in scripture, as we'll see, for palm branches being waved before the king. And so good to have our new members, Brent, brought to us today. This is a big day. And we welcome you. We're glad for your... Uh, profession of faith in Christ. This is a big day. But but Palm Sunday, we get so used to this that we, we forget the significance. This was the day that Jesus went public. In his ministry, Matthew records five times where Jesus wanted to, to, to put it on the down low who he really was. Uh, in Matthew 8, he healed a leper and then he looked at him and he said, tell no one. In Matthew 9, he healed a synagogue leader. He healed a woman with a 12-year problem of internal bleeding and two blind guys. And he sternly warns them, tell no one. Joe Creech has admitted here that his kids think he has a stern look. I have a stern look. I can do that. Can you imagine Jesus? Stern look, the eternal son of God come in flesh giving a stern look. I don't know. It must've been, uh, the, but he sternly warned him. See here after he heals them, let no one know about this. Matthew 12, after Jesus healed a guy in church on the Sabbath, uh, this, the, the leaders of the synagogue got upset because he was healing in church on Sunday morning. Imagine that or Saturday morning. Imagine that it'd be terrible. And so the leaders were all upset. And so he, 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 he led all the others who were sick uh, and they followed him outside and he healed him. I would have gone if I was had not been healed initially, I would have followed him too. And after he healed all these people, he said, and he warned them not to make him known. Matthew 16, after Jesus asked Peter, who do you guys think I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He sternly warns them not to tell anybody. And then Matthew 17, Mount Transfiguration. Remember I said last week in Philippians how Jesus laid aside his privileges? Well, here on Mount Transfiguration, he takes them back, and he reveals who he is, and all of his glory shines through him. And Peter, who has to talk before he thinks, says, Lord, let's stay here forever. They come down from Mount Transfiguration, and he says that he is to tell them that he is not The Messiah, but on Palm Sunday, this is the time. This is the time to go public. It's the right time to go public. Jesus had to heal everybody. He had to heal. He had to teach everybody. uh, He had to teach and to say all of the right things that he had to say before he tells them who he is and all of his fullness, lest the people be be confused. That's why he didn't want them to misunderstand him. But now is the time. The foundation has been laid and he goes public. And this is Matthew's account in Matthew 21, verses 17. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey, And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you ever read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is God's holy word. So what's Palm Sunday all about? Palm Sunday is the beginning of the last act of the greatest drama of all of human history that becomes literally the center point of all of human history. Jesus is presenting himself as the king, but not only the king of the Jews, the king of the whole world. This is when he comes through and clarifies to everybody to the whole world, that he is the one that follows what, what, what Moses said, after me will come a prophet. Another one like me will come. Jesus is that prophet like Moses. He is the son of David. He is the king. All those genealogies in, in Matthew and Luke, don't you just love them when you get to those genealogies? And so-and-so begat, and so-and-so begat, and so-and-so begat. Why is it there to remind us who Jesus is? the son of David, the son of, of Abraham, the son of God. And Jesus makes it clear in this because he presents, he presents himself, not just as an inspired rabbi, not just as a teacher of Israel, but as the son of God and savior of sinners. It is true that Jesus is a prophet. Uh, as it said, the prophet from Nazareth, it's true. In in Hebrews chapter one, it says, God has spoken to us in many portions and in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And so Christians unashamedly say Jesus is the last prophet. We unashamedly say we don't need a prophet that came in 600 in the Arabian Peninsula by the name of Muhammad. We don't need another prophet to clarify the truth of God. Jesus is that last prophet. We don't need a latter-day prophet to come in the 1850s or 1860s in America and say, no, I fully interpret the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, we unashamedly say, is the last prophet, the prophet par excellence, who holds the office of teaching prophet to us. He's also the priest. He's also a priest. He prayed to Israel, prayed, prayed to God for Israel. He prayed on behalf of, in fact, Hebrews again says that he is the great high priest. We no longer need any human intermediaries between us and God, because Jesus is that high priest. And and not only is he the high priest who offers the sacrifice in Holy Week, he is the sacrifice. He is the high priest who offers the sacrifice. Amazing. Prophet, priest, king, preeminently we are called to remember on Palm Sunday that he is the king and he's going public and he's going clear. And now it's very clear who he is and he wants us and he wants the whole world to see it. And on Palm Sunday, I wanna, I wanna just bring up to you three, four points of, that prove that Jesus is king and the difference that makes in our life. So first of all, I want you to note, Jesus is king. We see that in Jesus' intentional planning in verses one through three, this whole ride into Jerusalem, it was all intentional. Did you see that? I hope you did. And maybe you've thought this before me. Maybe this is not new news to you, but in Jesus' intentional planning for this ride, we see that everything was well-planned and perfectly executed. I love this. No detail is omitted. When they drew near to Jerusalem, by the way, they had just come up from Jericho, about 18 miles from Jerusalem. Jericho is an uphill, uh, the downhill down, uh, way down in the Jordan River Valley, 18 miles straight up to Jerusalem, where Jesus healed Bartimaeus and another guy came right on up to Jerusalem to present himself. And, and he first went to Bethpage. They came up, it was all planned. He says to disciples, go into the village in front of you, immediately find a donkey and a colt, untie them, bring them to me. It's all there, it all happens. From start to finish, Jesus has planned this and he pulls it off. Why? Because he's king. This is not a random event. This, and it's important for us to understand this is not a random event. It was planned because Jesus is king. Jesus does not do random. He doesn't do random. Why? He's the king. He's the king of the universe. And as the king of the universe he plans that, did your life this past week feel chaotic uh, with what happened at work, what happened at kids, with kids? I was with my grandkids this week. It was chaos. <laughs> Beautiful chaos. Glad to go home. <laughs> it's great. but There are times when we feel like this world is so chaotic, and and, and the reality is it seems random, but it's not because Jesus is king, and that's so important for us to keep in mind. Uh, he, He doesn't do random. He's the divine king, the eternal son of God. He knew the right time, the exact time to come forward, and he presented himself as the king. That's why we as Christians don't talk about luck much, right? We don't say good luck. Well, as Presbyterians, we don't say good luck, do we? If you do repent, what is luck? What is luck? You put it under a microscope and you can't see it. Luck is not a thing. It's a philosophical idea that comes from a fatalistic mentality, a non-God idea. So good luck. Don't say good luck to somebody. Good luck is like saying, hey, good luck. Hope it works out for you. Probably won't. We live in a random world. Chances are 50-50. It'll go good for you. Probably won't. Good luck. (laughs) We don't say good luck. Why? Because we believe in a king who's in charge. And though our lives feel very random at times, they're not because he's the king. Ecclesiastes 3 is very important. For everything, there is a season there's a time for every matter under heaven. I didn't write this. This is God's word. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up. A time to kill, a time to heal, time to break down. There is a time. And in this ride to Jerusalem, we see that the eternal king who took on human flesh has come and it's time to go public. And we see that he's king. The challenge is for us, as we think about our lives To remember that we live our lives Coram Deo, before the face of God, before the king. (laughs) To remember that he planned it all out. Your life is well planned out. You have freedom? Yes, you have freedom. But God is still sovereign. And so we don't live in abject fear. Like God is sitting up there going, oh man, I'm shocked that happened. No. No. Jesus shows that he's king by his intentional planning. Secondly, by his commanding nature, again, in verses one through three, I love this, his commanding nature. This might disabuse you of the idea of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. If you have this idea that Jesus was always passive and always just nice and sweet and gentle, you haven't read the gospels. This is powerful. And so he says to his disciples, there it is, verse twenty. Go. Look at the look at the verbs. Look at the imperatives. Go, untie, bring. You shall say, tell them the Lord needs these donkeys. Bring them. I, as a leader myself, I I like this. There are times I wish I was Catholic, that I could really, you know lead my church and I was I teaching these guys. I, I, let me clarify that for you. I, 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 I teach a bunch of guys throughout the week, and I got a bunch of guys, in uh, Catholic guys, that come to one of my groups. And I said, so are your churches chaotic? And they go, no. The priest just tells us what to do, and we do it. <laughs> I go, that would be so cool. <laughs> I'm a Presbyterian pastor. I tell our people what to do. They don't do anything. You know, it's just... Um, Uh, Here we see Jesus commanding nature, and we get a window into true discipleship. The disciples saw Jesus as a king. And so he tells them what to do, and they do it. This is not a time, and there are times as disciples, there are times when Jesus is not going to sit around and say, how do you feel about that? What what do you want to do? Do you want to do this? Let me give you some scripture. Do you you feel like doing this today? He doesn't do it because he's the king. And and, and we just do it. This is the center point of history. Creation, fall, promise, promise fulfilled. The ride into Jerusalem is the beginning of the the last act of the greatest drama in all of human history that affects all of human history. He's going to the cross. This is not a time to second-guess Jesus. There are times not to second-guess Jesus. God can handle our questioning, but there are times to say, yes, Lord. There are times to read scriptures and say, yes, Lord. I don't understand it, but I'm going to try to apply it. I I don't know um, if you watch much of the news. A lot of people don't. And so I'm just telling you right now, our president is going through a time where people are saying, you've been changing your advisors so often and we're a little nervous. They're nervous about that. And I've read on the presidents, most of the presidents since Washington on down, and that doesn't bother me at all. I've seen our presidents change. This is not a political statement, by the way. I want you to know. I've seen presidents change advisors all the time. And maybe you've read Doris Kearns' book on the leadership. of uh, of Abraham Lincoln called a team of rivals where Abraham Lincoln had all of his enemies on his cabinet. And she says, what a genius leader. I don't know. I don't know. I would never have done that on my elder board. (laughs) Here's my point, not political. My point is all human leaders need advisors. But Jesus does not need any advisors. He has never once asked my opinion on anything. Stunning. (laughs) He doesn't need it because he is the king. And he can be trusted. Guys, men, let me talk to your, uh, speak to your inner pagan just for a minute here, just for a second. You and I have authority problems, don't we guys? Because secretly, deep down, we want to be king. Sin disconnects us from God the Father. We want to be king. We want to rule our lives. We want to control our lives. It's like the guy who said to his wife, I, I, I don't want to dominate you. I just want to control you. Really? Okay. We, we have problems here, and it's a matter of control. Sometimes we want to be coddled and babied by God. But the reality is Jesus says, listen, I love you, and I'm going to lead you. You need to follow me because I'm your king and I can be trusted. Ladies, I'm not one of you, but I guess you have your own authority issues, right? We all need a king. We've been called to be saved, but saved by a king who then leads our lives and calls us to flourish as we obey his direction. His law is a grace. His word is a grace. It's a gift. This is how to live. And if you follow me, you will flourish. And if you don't, you won't. It's pretty simple. And so the challenge is to take the action step to really decide in advance when we understand the gospel more and more to go home today and say, Hey, you know... I'm going to decide to follow Jesus as king and decide in advance to obey you, even though I don't understand everything in your word, but I try to understand it. But you're king. I'm going to follow you. Jesus is a king. We see his kingly nature and his intentional planning, his commanding nature, and his undisputed authority. Verses 4, 5, 7, 11, 12, and 13. This was to, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Zechariah prophesied it many hundreds of years before Jesus that he would ride into Jerusalem. And in undis- Jesus fulfills the prophecy in und- showing his undisputed authority. He's the only one that has ever fulfilled that, only one that could, but he's a humble king. This is important. He rides a donkey for a purpose. If he wanted to hurt them, if he wanted to send fear into their hearts, what would he have ridden into Jerusalem a white war horse, but he rides a humble donkey and no less the coal, the, the foal, a colt. It says, it says uh, they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and he sat on them. Critics of Christianity said, Jesus sat on the donkey and the colt at the same time. No, the cloaks, people have actually suggested that. Come on. He sat on the cloaks. Nobility sometimes rode donkeys, particularly donkeys, young ones set apart for sacred purposes. This, if anything, was a sacred purpose, wasn't it? The centerpiece of all human history where the Messiah comes, riding into Jerusalem, I am your saving king. Uh, Perfect time for that. And and, And they're singing, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were going crazy. They were like charismatics, lifting up their hands. Psalm 118 is what they're quoting. Psalm 113 to 118 are the Hallel Psalms, which were sung at Passover, remembering the time uh, of the the Egyptian uh, rescue. And, and they're singing this. To, it was probably the last song they sang also uh, at, at the Last Supper. And they're putting their cloaks and their branches, probably palm branches, yes, cut them down saying, save us now. And they call him the King, David. It's its like what C.S. Lewis and then Josh McDowell after him said, you know, that, that Jesus, you can, you can call Jesus many things, but really he's either He's either the Lord, who he says he is, or he's crazy, or he's a liar, and the liar thing doesn't work. He doesn't come across as crazy, so he must be the Lord, the king with undisputed authority. And so he goes into the temple, verse 12, uh, it tells us he goes into the temple. Now, Mark and Luke tell us that probably this was on Monday, not on Sunday. Matthew, Matthew is a good Jew, was not all that concerned for chronology. You and I wanna know exactly when it happened. We get out our iPhones or whatever, and uh, we say, yeah, it happened back on March 25th at three o'clock in the afternoon. The Jew said, it happened last week. Matthew was not as concerned for the exact chronology. Mark and Luke tells us this happened on Monday. The celebration continued. Jesus comes back on Monday, goes into the temple and does his work. I love this. Drove out all who sold and bought the temple, overturned the tables. Guys, doesn't this kind of energize you? Have you ever wanted to do this? Business meeting, ladies, you were in a business meeting. You just wanted to make a statement. Jesus makes a statement. He says, you guys are making, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, which is a, uh, a, a catchphrase. My, my house, the temple, is to be a place of worship for all the nations. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court where all Jews could go, only Gentiles could go into this outer court, the court of the the, the women, and then the court of the Jews, and then there was the Holy of Holies, only the priest, the holy place, and then the Holy of Holies. Only the priest could go into those places. A place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of redemption, and the outer courts, the courts of the Gentiles, was being turned into a place where business was transactioned. Now, business is not bad, but the whole idea here is that they were bringing animals for the Passover sacrifices, right? And the priests got to determine who was the pure sacrifice and who was not pure. So what they, what they do, if you brought your own animal, it'd be cheaper buying it off grounds. It's like parking at the airport, off grounds. It's cheaper. Buy your animal off grounds; it's cheaper. But when you bring it to the, you bring it to the temple it's not pure. This one's no good. You got to buy one of ours, at inflated rates. And oh, by the way, you got to use our certain coinage. And you got there's a guy over here who can get your money transacted for, you know, the right fee, to be the right money to buy the right animal. In the it was a racket. It was good, religious racket. There are religious rackets. This is not one of them. But that was. And Jesus goes in and cleans up the mess. And nobody stops him. There were temple guards there with swords and spears, and they it was the day after the ride in, and nobody stops Jesus. How does that happen? flipping the tables. He was not out of control, very much in control. Why? Because he's a king, undisputed king, and his undisputed authority just exuded through him, and they knew there was a spiritual power that was being exhibited there that they felt palpably, and they could not respond. I love this. So Jesus doesn't always ask our opinion. Make disciples of all nations. Our purpose here is to make disciples to advance Christ's kingdom. He doesn't say, hey, is that a good idea? He says, that's what it's about. And, and, so, and so there are times when our soul is like these people, we cry out, save me now. You are the King." And he will come to meet our needs. I, here's an action step I challenge you to. He's the undisputed king. Instead of running to other things when you get depleted. Instead of running elsewhere when you're feeling bad about yourself. When you fail. Instead of running to stuff Money, sex, power, you name it. I was thinking about this the other day as I was sitting down finally, it was a very busy week. Uh, it was two weeks ago. I was sitting down uh, with the holy box of juji fruits. I could power down a whole box of juji fruits in about 35 minutes. And I'm, I'm popping those suckers in. I've ripped out uh, cavity fillings. And, and I heard this little voice, what, what's going on? I go, it's 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 been a long week and I'm kind of tired and kind of, oh, so you're not coming to me, but you're going to Juji Fruits. Isn't it amazing? What we can run to? He said, you know, why don't you get down on your knees? Because I'm your king. I help you. Okay. Grab a little space today, someplace. Get down on your knees where nobody's there and just say, You're my king. And I'm going to stop running to this or to that or to this or that. I'm going to run to you. Meet my needs. His undisputed authority, his intentional planning, his commanding nature. One more, real quick. I love this. His loving lordship. He shows himself to be a king through his loving lordship, verses 14 through 27. So after he cleans out the temple, all these people come to him. He's there cleaning. He's flipping tables He's saying, you guys are not, you're mistreating my house. And, and so all these guys are standing around with eyes like deer and the headlights. And then these people, lame and the poor and all these people come up to, they need to be healed. What does he do? Jesus turns right to them. By the way, Mark told us, or excuse me, Luke tells us something that Matthew doesn't. And that's when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, he stops and he weeps as he looks at the nation. As he looks at the city, he weeps for them. Why? Because he's an undisputed, absolute king, but he's a loving Lord king. And he sees the needs of the people and he weeps. He knows your story. He knew their story. He knows our story. And he heals them. And then everybody freaks out. Out because these kids are saying Hosanna and waving palm branches and causing chaos, and the really dignified people say, "Jesus, stop it." I said, "Nah, they're doing the right thing because I am a loving Lord who's come to be the sacrifice for my people." So if you're here and you don't know Christ, you don't know what Christians, I mean, you're here today. Somebody brought you. We're glad you're here. Why do we follow Jesus? for these reasons, because he really is a king who loves us. He really is power who this week then we'll see he comes into Jerusalem. He teaches his people. Read uh, read after this, all of the teaching that Jesus does. This is his, his last extra, extravaganza of teaching to his disciples. He teaches them day in, day out. Some of the best teaching in the gospel of John is found uh, in this time period. He's teaching his disciples. And then he prays in the garden of Gethsemane. And then he's arrested there Monday, Thursday gives way to Good Friday where he goes through the trials and put on the cross. Why? For us? This is why the king has come to redeem us of our sins. To cause us to flourish as we understand his work for us and as we kneel before him. So kneel before him and remind yourself he is your king who knows your story, your story, and my story, intimately. Invite somebody to Easter. My friend Scott Bull was uh, preaching this past week. I was listening to one of his sermons on Luke 14, 23, about the, the parable of the feast, where the guy who's throwing the feast says, get everybody here that needs to be here. And it doesn't fill up. And so he says, go out and compel them to come in. And I, I, that was the first time I thought about that, that really Jesus is telling the disciples to go out and speak urgently to people and compel them. You need to know about Jesus. Compel them to come to the, so compel them. You might think it's a lot too dignified. Say, so you need to hear about an empty tomb. Come with me Sunday. Someone said, preach the gospel Always use words if necessary. But, you know, as I read the Bible, it's really the other way around. Preach the gospel always and serve people to prove it. So words are always necessary. Invite them, compel them to come and hear about a king they desperately need. So Wednesday morning, I'm driving down to... uh, my site downtown, Wednesday, it's about, I'm on the 417 over on the east side of town. It's about 20 to six in the morning. I'm driving down there and I drive fast. It's my only sin besides Juji Fruits. And, um, and there's two cars. I see these lights in back of me. So I pull over to the right lane. And as I'm, as I'm standing there, as I'm driving, I'm looking at what comes zooming past me is a deputy sheriff and a guy in a construction truck, he is following that deputy sheriff four feet behind the deputy sheriff. And they're going 90 miles an hour. And I, so I, I'm absolutely stunned by this. This guy in a construction truck is tailgating a uh, deputy sheriff. This is great. So I kind of notch up my speed to kind of follow and see how long that's going to happen. And, uh, and, and they're just going and going and going. I'm thinking, how does this happen? I know how it happened. I figured it out. The deputy sheriff had to be that guy's buddy. Had to be. Had to be his friend. Called him Jim. I got to get downtown today. Could you lead me downtown? He goes, sure. Get behind. Go. Let's go. Boom. And they were going. He was tailgating power. I loved it. If you're a deputy sheriff, I need to know your address and phone number. (laughs) Listen, this week, What we do is we tailgate power. Because we got a king who's out in front of us. You are not powerless. He knows your story. He loves you. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, he's proved it a million times. So follow the king. You'll flourish. Trust me. You take it to heart. And let's pray. Oh, God, how easy it is for us to forget. Oh, Lord Jesus, how easy it is to forget that you're our king. And so today we come into your presence and we worship. And we ask that your word, your... your, illustration of your power on Palm Sunday would propel us into this holy week of remembrance and thinking and and involvement in the reality of your kingship, your loving lordship. Thank you for becoming our king and sacrificial savior. May we remember all day, every day, to follow you and your power. We lift up your holy name now as we pray in the name of the risen King. Amen.